0: several maybe about three or so years ago uh, one day i was uh, at, at church in my office and i was uh, doing a little bit of work and uh one of our uh well our other associate pastor his name was sung yoon pastor yoon came into my office and i was a little bit embarrassed because my uh, office my desk was was very messy and so i said oh man i'm so sorry uh, my office is a mess and it's crazy in here and uh yeah sorry that it's 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 like a hurricane went through my desk and and he looked at my desk and he looked at me and very simply he said, why don't you clean it? <laughs> and I thought to myself, that's a great idea. I should clean my desk. Have you ever, have you ever thought about how simple that would be? So I, I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I took it for what it was, right? I said, my desk is messy. And he asked me a question. Why don't you clean it? And so I thought about that. Why don't I clean it? You have rooms that are messy and sometimes you complain about your room being messy or you've got some situation in life that's messy and, and you're complaining about it. And the question is, why don't you clean it? I thought, why don't I? I think part of me feels like, well, I've got other things to do. And part of me feels like, well, it would take a really long time to clean. I've got stacks of piles of all this paper and it would take a really, really long time for me to do that which is why I didn't do it, but it makes sense because any time there's something that needs to be changed, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, You've had conversations with people before about this, haven't you? Someone's like, oh, you know what? My life stinks because um, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm getting a, a C in chemistry. Like, Well, why don't you do something about it? Like, Go get help. Go get tutoring. Go do something about it. Oh, my life stinks because I got no money. Have you tried looking for a job? No, why not? Well, it's just, it's, it's hard. There's, I don't even know where to begin. You talk to people like that, don't you? Where they've got an issue, they've got something that doesn't, isn't right with their lives. And to you, the answer is simple. To other people, the answer is simple. Why don't you do something about it? But to them, they don't want to do it. You ever talk with somebody who, they feel like their relationship with God isn't where it ought to be? And so you ask them, what are you going to do about it? What have you done about it? What are you doing about it? I'm not doing anything. Why not? Well, because there's other things to do or because uh, it would take a long time to fix and to change these things in my life. Today, I want to talk about a guy whose dissatisfaction with the spiritual life led him to take a journey and a a journey that would lead him a thousand miles in order to seek that. And when he did find what he was looking for, it was that one encounter that changed his life forever. I want to look at Acts chapter 8. If you turn to Acts chapter 8, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bible there because we're going to be looking at a few different passages in Scripture, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and we're going to talk about the life of a man who had one encounter with God and his life was forever changed, not only him, but countless other people. Last week, we talked about another guy who was in a similar situation. In fact, his true story would come right after that, after this passage we're going to read today. But this last week, we talked about a guy named Saul who on a road to Damascus was changed and... That one encounter revolutionized his life and the rest of the world as we know it. His heart was not seeking God at all. His heart was hardened spiritually. He was not longing for God. He was just doing his thing, hating God. And even in that state, God met him and transformed his life. And the world as we know it would be different, including our lives. Today, we're going to look at a guy on the opposite end of the spectrum. He wasn't spiritually hearted. He was spiritually hungry. But at the same time, one encounter with God would change him and would change countless other lives for all of time. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. This is God's word. It's the true story of a eunuch from Ethiopia. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. This is God's word. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Uh, go to that chariot and stay near it and philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading isaiah the prophet "Do you understand what you're reading philip asked how can i he said unless someone explains it to me so invited philip to come up and sit with him the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture he was led like a lamb to the uh, like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is God's word. This is fascinating stuff here. It, just to, to get us real briefly, uh, quickly caught up on what's going on in the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus r- rose from the dead. Okay? Uh, 40 days, he ascended into heaven. 10 days after Jesus ascended to heaven, the promised Holy Spirit came down. So the disciples were huddled together. Spirit of God came upon them in power. This was Pentecost. People started speaking in tongues. These scared, frightened disciples who were worried and anxious and feared their lives are out and about now preaching boldly to the very people who had killed Jesus, right? They're saying to Peter saying to these people who scared the living daylights out of him to the point where three times he denied Jesus. He goes to them and he's like, listen, y'all, you guys killed Jesus, the Lord and master life, but he rose from the dead and he's alive and y'all need to repent and be baptized. Right. The very people that had threatened his life, he's now challenging them, saying, you need to change. You need to repent. And so the church is blowing up. Right. It is exploding. Right? Spirit of God moving, revival, breaking forth, young and old will turn to Jesus. It's happening. Right. And the, the church begins in, in Jerusalem, spreads Antioch first called Christians there. And along the way. Persecution begins to strike this group of Jesus followers following the way. And in the midst of persecution, the church doesn't dwindle and die. It gets stronger. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, Tertullian said. And so the church begins to grow. First martyr, Stephen. And after Stephen gets killed, it was Saul, right, who became known as Apostle Paul, who was the cheerleader, clapping hands, holding people's coats as he was getting killed. Stephen's getting killed. After that day, persecution comes. And from there, the church spreads to Judea Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth so where we pick up here the gospel has gone to Judea the gospel has gone to Samaria okay, and revival is breaking forth in Samaria Philip is there Peter and John they're preaching the gospel and all around Samaria people are coming to know Jesus miracles people are being healed and then we pick up in chapter 8 verse 26 uh, we're going to see the life of a man from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. And many of you don't know who, what a eunuch is, so I'm going to try and explain. And, and, and basically, all I'm going to do today is tell the true story of what happened some 2,000 years ago. Two thoughts, though. Two thoughts that I want to give. And here's the first one. Uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was important, but he was empty. He was important, but he was empty. Uh, that's, that's what you need to know for now. Uh, so you guys know my wife, Olivia. Uh, She's right here, right? Uh, Someone said no, but this is Olive. Uh. So half a lifetime ago, she was in college. She was a college freshman at James Madison University in Virginia, Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the sticks. And she's going to college there. And for spring break her freshman year, her and and three of her friends said, hey, let's go do something fun. Let's get out of the Berg and let's go to some cool place. And so they said, let's go to Key West. Let's go to Florida. And so they said, yeah, let's do it. And they looked up, well, I don't know how they looked up because it was like, do you have internet back then? Kind of, not, you think it's funny, but I'm being for real because they didn't have cell phones, I promise you that, that's part of the story. So they looked up somehow uh, plane tickets and they found out that it cost way too much money to fly down to Key West. So they did some research and uh, called Greyhound and Greyhound said, yeah, there's a bus that takes you from Harrisonburg all the way down to Key West and someone on the line told them it takes a, 14 hours 18 hours it takes 18 hours to get down there they're like yeah we're young we're college freshmen we got to live a little bit it's gonna be awesome we'll rough it a little and so they booked their greyhound bus ticket and they got on greyhound they're going in first couple hours all of them, you could ask her more about it she's like yeah this is awesome and her friends are loving it and they're laughing and having a great time but every two hours they would stop at some dingy little bus station and they would have to take all of their stuff off of the bus and they would sit in this nasty terminal. She said there were shady people all around and four girls with their bags just sitting there hanging around until they said, okay, get on the bus. They'd get back on the bus and they would talk. And then two hours later, they'd stop again, get off the bus for another hour. And this happened all throughout the night. So they couldn't get any sleep. Well, not more than two hours worth at least. And so 18 hours passes and they're only in Jacksonville. Right, so Harrisonburg, Virginia. Key West down here, they're in Jacksonville. 18 hours have passed. They're like, we should be here by now. So at the next train station, Greyhound, they got their quarters out. Okay, quarters, it's a form of currency, which is like money. And they put it in this thing called a pay phone. A pay phone. It's like, I don't even know how to explain this anymore. It's a cell phone that's stuck to a wall and you have to pay money in order to use it. So she put, they put her money and they called Greyhound and they're like, yo, we've been on this bus for 18 hours. You said that it would take 18 hours to get to Key West. We're only in Jacksonville. And the lady on the line says, I'm sorry, I don't know who told you it would be 18 hours. That's at least you're only halfway there. So they're like, all right, what are we going to do? They have to get back on that bus. And so they get on and about 40 hours later, 40 hours later, right, people in Ecuador who are stuck on the side of a mountain, you can empathize with Oliver. She can empathize with you. 40, about 34, 40 hours later, they get to Key West. Taxi driver picks him up, says, where y'all going? They tell her, the, tell him the name, and he's like, oh. <laughs> and so they end up in, the, like, the hood in the shady little motel. The pictures of the tiki bar and all that stuff don't look anything like reality, just this one little tiki torch and a, and a table. And they get there, and they have their time, and then at the end of it, Uh, We got to go back on that Greyhound bus. And so each of them got their quarters out, stuck in a payphone, called their mom and dad, said, we can't get on. Mom said, get on that bus. Dad said, fly back. So they all flew back, paid $300, got a one-way ticket back to Harrisonburg and had memories that will last a lifetime. Listen, (laughs) you think about them, right? If if we were down there, maybe some of y'all were in Key West during that spring break of 19, whatever it was. So if you were down there and you saw these four girls, said, what are you guys doing here? How'd you get down here? Like, we took a Greyhound bus 40 hours to get down to this beach. What would you think? I don't know what you would think, but I would think, man, you guys really, really wanted to be here. You love Key West, huh? This is is great. Now, think about this for a second, right? If you were to see a man in Jerusalem who said that he had come from Ethiopia, a dark-skinned man, looked nothing like anybody else, In Palestine and he said I've come from Ethiopia what would you think you think wow this guy really wanted to be here why because most scholars would say it was about 1,500 miles they didn't have greyhound back then 1,500 miles and this Ethiopian eunuch was desperate to get to Jerusalem why who was this man? Well, it says, verse 27, it says, he started on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So Candace was a title, kind of like Pharaoh, kind of like Caesar, it wasn't her name, but Candace, Kandaki, is the title for the queen of the Ethiopians. And so to be an official meant you were an important position. He was the secretary of the treasury for all of Ethiopia. But it also says that he was a eunuch. I don't know if, you, if most of you know what a eunuch is, and I know that some of us are in sixth grade, and most of our sixth graders are girls, and so you're going to think this is going to be weird when your parents ask you what you talked about. But um, I'm not making this up, and we're not, I'm not trying to like, be silly, but this just happened to be the passage that you guys came in on. Welcome to Harvest. But <laughs> a eunuch is a man. Okay, it's a good thing uh, at least uh, Kayla's dad is here, so he can he can understand and he can do damage control. But a eunuch was a man, okay? Man and woman are different, okay? One of the things that uh, when Elijah was born, Manny realized that she was different from Elijah when she saw him taking a bath. Okay, You guys understand what I'm talking about, right? Uh, there are differences not only in the length of hair, but... You know, body parts are, are different. And so there's certain body parts that determine uh, a, a, male, a man and a woman. And so this he's a man, right? And what a eunuch was, basically, it meant that his private parts, his sexual organs, were mutilated or cut off or damaged. That's what a eunuch was. Okay? Why? I'll tell you why. To be in the official To be an official in the house of Candace, who is a woman, they needed to make sure that you were not going to take advantage of her or try and work your way into her family for political gain. And so here's a man who worked hard. Maybe he started out at the bottom. And as he made his way to the top, gained more and more trust within the the Ethiopian court, they said, listen, you're getting the high position. If you want to get as high as you can go, you need to be castrated. You need to have your private parts cut off in order that you can protect and we can protect the queen, Candace. And so for the sake of his job and for the sake of his status, he willingly had himself castrated, had his private parts cut off, mutilated, damaged, whatever it is that happened to him in order that he could continue serving in the courts of Candace what a eunuch was it means that his hopes and dreams of ever knowing intimacy with a woman gone his hopes and dreams of ever having a child gone when he saw kids uh, fathers throwing up their children and hugging them and laughing with them never again why because he wanted to remain important whatever it takes I've got money, I'm rolling in it, but at what cost it meant he had to say goodbye to his future, his hopes, his dreams. In a culture where your family meant everything. You know in the Middle East and African culture how much genealogies mean. That's why you always see them in Scripture. Because your descendants, your lineage means everything. And so here's this man who was important as can be in the, nation of Af- in the nation of Ethiopia, but he willingly gave up his hopes and dreams in order that he could remain in that place. Here's a man who's important, and he's going to Jerusalem, it says, to worship, but it also says in verse 28, on his way home was sitting in his chariot. Why was he going home? I'll tell you why doesn't say it here, it just kind of skips over. But if you look in, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, this is what it says No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So here's this man, spiritually, he's hungry, he's longing, he's desperate. He's important, but he's empty. And he says, if I can just get on my pilgrimage and get to Jerusalem, because I know that's where all the faithful people of God go to worship. If I can just get there 1,500 miles. He took that first step and he got out to Jerusalem. A dark-skinned man amongst all of these other Middle Eastern people would stand out like a sore thumb. But he said, at least if I'm not a Jew, in the court of the Gentiles, in the court of the Gentiles, I can get on the outskirts. You Remember, in the temple, the holiest place was only for the Jews, the priests. The outer courts were for the other Jewish men. There's a court for the women. And then the furthest courts out was a court of the Gentiles. This is where, in Jesus' time, the money Uh, the money changers were selling their doves and their pigeons. And the reason Jesus was so mad about that, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. What was he saying? He's saying the nations, Gentiles are supposed to pray here, but you're not letting that happen. That's why Jesus was angry. It wasn't because they were making money. It was because they were robbing people, the Gentiles, of the opportunity to worship. And so here's the Gentile. He's saying, at least if I can just get to the outer courts, then... I can know what it is to be intimate with this God. But he gets there, and they say, Sorry, you can't go in. Can you imagine that? Imagine Olive, 40 hours on a bus, she gets to Key West, and they say, Sorry, Key West is closed. Wouldn't that stink? Or you you go on vacation to go to this one new store. I heard there's a Uniqlo opening up in Chicago. So you take your vacation and you fly out there and you get there and they say, sorry, we're closed for renovation. Or there's this restaurant that you saw on some TV show and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to go. But the only thing is it's all the way in California. And so you're like, next vacation, let's go spring break. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go Greyhound. And so you get on your Greyhound and you go to California to eat at this restaurant and they say, sorry, we're closed this week. Wouldn't that stink? You, you know what would stink even more than that, though? Is you get there, and they're letting everybody else in. Except for you. And this Ethiopian eunuch is there on the outskirt, looking in, waiting to get in. Other people are going in, but they say, you can't. And he says, but I've got money. I've got, I've got lots of money. Do you know who I am? Do you know my position in my country? I could buy the temple. Now, you can't come in. Now, you can't come in because you're deformed, because you've been mutilated, because you're disgusting. The problem is not outside of you. The problem is you. You are the problem. And nothing that you do will ever be able to fix that. So here's this eunuch who's gone 1,500 miles to to, to satisfy that spiritual longing within his heart. And as he gets there, they say, you can't come in. So imagine having him having to tell his entourage of people, we got to go back to Ethiopia now. They didn't have a $300 plane ticket and just hop on a plane and get back to Ethiopia. 1,500 miles, they've got to go back. This man, as important as he was, left Jerusalem feeling more spiritually empty than he was when he first set out on that journey. And maybe for some of us, that's where we are. Hey, you may have an an important position at work. People might praise you in this world. You might have all the money in the world, but you're coming on this journey because you feel empty spiritually. People might be praising you, saying you're the most beautiful thing, you're the most handsome guy, you have the most money, you have all of these things going for you, but deep in your heart of hearts you feel empty. Maybe you've got your 4.0 GPA, you've, all of your life you've been killing it in school, you're ready to go to, the, to that next step, you're going to go to the Ivy Leagues, but you look at your heart and you realize that I'm, lo- I'm so deeply empty spiritually. And you're longing and you're hoping that something could satisfy that deep longing within your heart. That's a condition of this man's soul. He's important. He's in the high official in the treasury of Candace. But because of a choice that he had made, forever he will be marked as an outsider, as an outcast, as deformed, distorted, unable to enter the house of God. And so he leaves Jerusalem thinking that maybe this isn't for me. And so he leaves Jerusalem. The first thing that we see his condition is that he was important, but he was empty. The second thing, and this is the last thing, second thing that we see is that he sought God. But God found him. So he's going back. He's going back and and, and he starts reading verse 28 says he's reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And what is he reading? It just so happens he's reading one of the most messianic passages in all the scripture, the one that 700 years earlier was prophesying clearly about who Jesus was. And it says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And then this is what gets him. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth as he's reading this scroll, this great prophet Isaiah, he's reading about this man who was the the, the suffering servant, the savior of the world, and yet he's reading this, and, and he realizes that there's someone who knows what it feels like to be me. Who can speak of his descendants? That this man too, willingly, Willingly gave up the right to have children. It says in in Isaiah 53, if you keep on reading the very next verse, it says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. Right? He was cut off. It's a similar language of castration that he was cut off. And so the question he's asking is, who is this person? Could it be that there's somebody from this religion, somebody from this worldview that understands me, that understands what I'm feeling that understands what I'm going through, that knows what it is to to, to feel the sense of of rejection that I did. Is there somebody that can explain this to me? The problem is, he's on a desert road and there's nobody. It, it, It makes it clear, verse 26, go south to the road. Which road? The desert road, the deserted road. There's no one on that road. But all the while, while he's seeking God, the reality is that God is seeking him. Whenever you seek God, can I tell you, this is a sign that God is seeking you. Uh, we cannot draw near to God unless the spirit in us is drawing us to him. Uh, when I was in, in Virginia a couple weeks back, uh, in, uh, we, we stayed at my, my, my parents' place, and in the basement, uh, my uh, mom had set up a tent for the kids to play in, and so we spent a lot of time down there because it was the coolest place in the house it was uh, It was air conditioned and, and we so we hung out there doing uh, songs and the kids did body worship, they danced they ran around we played tag and so there 's one uh, one day Elijah and I were playing tag and and he was it, and I ran in circles around the tent right? so he 's chasing me he 's laughing he 's laughing with his little little stubby legs running around and my legs are longer than his, so I'm running faster than him, but I'm running slowly on purpose so they can get close. And then after a while, I, I started running faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And he's still running after me, running after me, giggling. He knows he's never going to catch me. But at the end, what ended up happening was that I was running after him to the point where I caught him from behind. And he giggled and he laughed and he thought it was the most exciting thing in the world. Why? Because he didn't understand this. But all the while he was chasing after me, I was the one who was chasing after him. And whenever we start chasing after God, what we don't understand is that God is chasing after us. How could it be? How can this man's deepest longings, deepest questions be answered if he's on a desert road? Meanwhile, in Samaria, the great revival is breaking out. Like fire, miracles of God, power of God, Holy Spirit. Samaritans receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and God says through the Holy Spirit, he says to Philip, go down south to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And you can kind of imagine in verse 26, goes south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem, goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Can you imagine Philip having this conversation with God? God says, hey, Philip, you having fun? And Philip's having this great time. Just saw miracles happen, demons fleeing at the name of Jesus. All of these great things happening. Philip is loving life. God, you're awesome. And God says, go down south to that road. He's like, which road? The one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's like, which one? The desert road. Because it doesn't make any sense. Why why would you call me to leave this revival, this amazing spiritual encounter, and go down to a desert road? That makes sense. Like, why would you leave this hip-hop happening, glitzy, glamorous, revival, shaking place and go to a place where nobody is? For one reason and one reason only. That there was an Ethiopian eunuch who was desperate for God. For the sake of this one man, God plucks Philip out and drops him on this road. Because when we seek after God, God who's seeking after us. And so Philip just happens to pop down on this desert road. Nobody far as the eye can see. Then all of a sudden he sees a chariot coming. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading because in those days you wouldn't, you wouldn't read quietly. You would read out loud. And so Philip recognizes he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet. And so he runs up next to him. He's like, what are you reading? He's like, I'm reading the scroll. He said, you understand what you're reading? Like, how can I, unless someone explains it to me. And all of a sudden light bulb goes on. This is why God has brought me here. As he goes and he starts talking to him and he asks his question, who is he talking about? As he gets to know the story, he probably told him that I went to Jerusalem to seek after God, but I was kicked out. And as he's hearing that, Philip, it says, beginning in that place. Can imagine that Philip took him to Isaiah uh, chapter 56, maybe? I'm pretty sure he did, knowing, and this this is what he said. Isaiah 56, verse 4, it says, For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls A memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Again, this language of being cut off. They can never be cut off. Here's this eunuch. Will never have sons and daughters. And he's questioning and he's longing. And all of a sudden, Philip opens up that same scroll, Three chapters later, and tells him that there's a God who says to eunuchs, Hey, you're not going to be cut off. And you will have an inheritance that's better than sons and daughters. You can be part of a family again. Now, of a sudden, he's like, What is this? What are you talking about? Who is this? And as he begins reading and reciting, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. His longing reaches this fever pitch to find out who is this person that the prophet
1: is talking about. Philip says, It's Jesus. It's Jesus.
0: Don't you see? Jesus is the one who was cut off in order that you could be brought in. He was the one who was mutilated in order that you could be made whole. He was the one who was rejected in order that you might be embraced. He was treated like a shameful eunuch in order that you might be treated like a glorious prince. And so the eunuch's heart just begins to soar and say, I want to know him. I want to know this Jesus. And as he continues to open up scripture, knowing that he's from Ethiopia, I think the prophet, I'm sorry, Philip would have taken him to Isaiah again. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, there's a passage that this eunuch needed to hear. Isaiah chapter 11 It says in verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from lower Egypt, from upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, and on and on it goes. In those days, everyone would understand that Cush was the other name for Ethiopia. And in this encounter that Philip has with this eunuch, as Philip begins explaining that 700 years before this moment, it had been said through the lips of the prophet Isaiah that people from your nation would be brought into the family of God. this eunuch begins to realize that history is being made as prophecy is being fulfilled. And so this eunuch just leaps out of his chair and with a passion, he says, why should I not be baptized? Not only that, but you think about his passion, then you think about his position of influence within the treasury of Candace. And then you think about the people of Ethiopia and you tie these threads together. Could it be that this would be the man, this eunuch on a desert road, who would go back to Ethiopia and bring the gospel for the first time to a country that was longing to hear, just as he was? In fact, in the second century, second century, historian Irenaeus in his book Against Heresy says, this man was the one indeed, in fact, who received the gospel on that desert road and took it back into his country so that Ethiopia could be the Christian nation that it is today. The forerunner to people like St. Augustine, people like Cyprian, Tertullian, these great men of faith, that arose from the African continent. You see, it wasn't just, hey, one person, that's it. See, one encounter with the Word of God not only changed this man's life forever, but it allowed the gospel to reach a nation, to then spread throughout a continent That is, that right now, 21 centuries later, is the hotbed of Christianity. Far and away more than we are here in North America. The gospel is spreading in that place. A one encounter with God, not only changed the person, but changed the nation forever. I don't want us to doubt the power of God, the work of God. A one encounter, one Simple act of obedience that Philip took to go to that desert road. Why would I go there? There's only five people at that church. Why would I go there? There's only going to be like 20 people there. Some of the greatest revivals have come. Just a handful of people. You don't need to be Moses to go lead people out of the land of slavery and in the promised land. Sometimes God's just calling you to be the bush that burns in front of people like Moses so that they could be unleashed into their mission and their purpose and their destiny. Hey, you don't always need to be the Ethiopian eunuch who goes. You don't need to be the Apostle Paul, but maybe God's calling you to be the one who goes to them to bring hope in order that they might be released into their calling to reach to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia in those days was known, Cush was known as the rim of the earth. The Jews and the Romans both considered that to be the far reaches of the earth and in fulfillment of prophecy that from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, the gospel will go. And it did. And it's continually doing so through people who've encountered God and moved out in obedience. I, I don't know where you are spiritually, not all of you at least. Some of you are hard, like Saul. You're like, there's no point in me coming. No point in me coming. To revival, to retreat. But God's presence is going to be here. And one encounter with God can change your life forever. Maybe you're coming in, and you're spiritually hungry and you're longing and you're desperate for God. And you're seeking Him and you're longing for change in your life. One encounter with God, with you, could set your life on fire and you could be set forth into your mission. And through you, there will be people who come to know the Lord. I don't know where you, maybe you feel like there's people, I want to bring them, but there's just no way. They're so, they need God, I know it. Maybe they know it, but they're not wanting him. Maybe you can be the guy that brings Saul to the encounter with God. Wherever we are, wherever we are, whether you're important and empty, whether you're not seeking and you're not hungry, wherever we are, that God wants to meet with us. One encounter with Him can change a life forever. The journey of a thousand miles begins with just one step. Would you take that step? He's waiting. He's wanting. His arms are ready. Open wide. Let's pray. As I I know, I know, hey, for some of us in here this morning, God is wrestling with your heart. I can I can see and I can believe and I can sense that. And sometimes for some of us it's our pride that we need to overcome. Because you've been so staunch in saying, I'm not gonna come, I'm not gonna come, I'm not gonna go. People ask you, I'm not gonna go. And right now, the one thing that's going to keep you from your breakthrough is your pride that says, okay, I'm going to go. And dealing with the people that just said, I'm not going to go. For some of us, that's what it is right now. Please don't let your pride keep you from meeting God, from encountering Him. For others of us, we feel like it's been too long. I really don't even know where to begin. I've accumulated so much brokenness and hurt. I really don't know where to begin. God's saying it begins with one step.
1: Just one step. Just come to Him and admit that. I'm scared, but I need you.
0: Some of you feel like you've given up on your friends, on your family members, you've given up on yourself. You've given up on your house church members. You've given up on your former students that you used to teach. Can you reach out to them today? Say, hey, would you come? Would you come and just open your heart to God? Maybe some of us are desperate for God. We're hungry. Lord, I need you. I want more of you. Do something in my life that would change me forever.
1: Let's pray what we have sung. All to Jesus, I surrender. All of my pride, all
0: of my past, all of my fears, all of my future, all of my pains, all of my mistakes, all of my friendships, all of my distractions, all of my blinders, all of the
1: hindrances, I lay them before you so that I could see you today. So I could meet with you today. One encounter, that's all it takes to change our lives. He's not mad at us. He loves.
0: And as it was with the apostle Paul, and as it was with the Ethiopian eunuch who had lost hope because Jesus came,
1: hope which was lost, now, here, stands renewed. Let's believe again. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I take that first step I'm going to come back to
0: you. My first step is to repent and to turn around from my life of sin, to turn around from my worldly ways, to turn away from the things of this world. I want to walk towards you. I I don't know if I have the strength to do that. I know I'm going to mess up, but I'm going to take that first step. I'm going to turn around. And as soon as you do, you realize that God is right there. He has not left. He's ready to carry you where you need to go. Let's pray to the Lord right now. Let's say, God, I need you. I'm coming to you. I want more of you. I want to want more of you. If I don't want you now, I want to want you. Lord, help me. Let's pray together. Let's pray for a couple moments. Quietly, out loud. Let's pray sincerely,
1: seeking God. Take that first step. Let's pray to the Lord God right now.
0: your hand on the back or the shoulder or the hand of the person next to you and let's pray for them lord help us all to take one step closer to you not to stay still not to go backwards but just take one step help my brother help my sister to take one step closer to you give them the strength to do that lord help us to walk together so that we might live for you, so that we might know the joy. Our families are counting on us to move towards God. Nations are waiting, right? Your school is waiting for an encounter that we might have with God. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for each other. Lord, bless my brother. Bless my sister. Bless my husband. Bless my wife. Help us to live for you, to encounter you, open and ready to
1: receive what you have. Let's pray for that, and then we'll we'll, we'll continue on. Let's pray for each other that way. Lord Almighty, we need you. Father, we're praying that you would come and you would pour forth your spirit over our lives. Lord, that you would lead us and that you would guide us to see more of you. Open up our eyes to see the goodness of who you are. Lord, that you would encourage just, Lord God, may it not be just business as normal. May it not just be a a, a routine, a ho-hop, Lord God, but may it be something that we really seek you with everything within us, Lord God. We really seek you with a hunger, with a longing, with a desperate heart, Lord. Fill us, Lord God, that every one of us, Lord God, would begin to realize that together we can do this, Lord God, as we live in the fullness of what you have for us. Awaken us to our destiny. Awaken us to our potential. Awaken us, Lord God, to the joy.
0: Father in heaven, we commit our hearts to you. Father, we in so many ways are like the Ethiopian eunuch who in the world has so much but we're so spiritually bankrupt. Maybe the world looks at the things that we have and they give us reasons to boast. But we know better. We know that our only boast is in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to boast in you. The man of sorrows who willingly became like a eunuch in order that we might become like a
1: prince, like a princess of the most high God, that you willingly were excluded so that we could intentionally be included. Thank you
0: that you became sorrowful so that we might become joyful. Help us, oh God,
1: to honor your life through our life, to honor your love through our love and to love you because you've loved us first. We thank you so much. Take our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.